Welcome to Ride Around the Road, the creative podcast that helps you get those pesky voices out of your head and onto the page. And remember, it's the journey that matters. Welcome to episode 116 of Ride Around the Road. This week we're talking to the beautiful Alison Stewart as she turns her hand to crime with her colonial mystery series set in Singapore. But before we start, uh, just a big shout out to Pam and Kel over at Rights for Women. They've got some wonderful things happening over there and every time I look I get really, really jealous and they've got some kind of feminist literature festival coming up that I think should be all kinds of fun. Uh, another podcast that I found is Words and Nerds podcast. Now how can we resist a title like like that. I've decided to do a bit of a blog post and list all the Aussie podcasts that I'm coming across later. I've um, been fairly active on Twitter and seeking out podcasts here in Oz and I didn't realise there were so many wonderful ones happening out there. And even in the writing space, I think I could I counted about 30 or 40 this morning. So I'll get a list of those together and I'll share them around because I think the more of us that are promoting Australian literature, the better. Uh, and I, I'd love to share that list with you. Here at Writer on the Road, we've got a free webinar coming up, how to kickstart your indie author business from anywhere. Now, if there's something we know a fair bit about over here at Writer on the Road is, is making money while we trip around the place having lots of fun. So I've put together a bit of a free workshop uh, to share those knowledges with you. And we talk a lot and delve into uh, the key skills of entrepreneurship. As I research entrepreneurship for my young scholars, I realise we can use so much of it in our own businesses. And we're talking about risk-taking and that sense of humour and that self-efficacy that you need to run your own business. So I'm wrapping that up in a little webinar and I'll be running that in the next couple of weeks and I'll let you know more about it as as the time approaches. Um, The last thing I've got to quickly share with you is this week's sponsor, uh, the beautiful Paul Brody from Brody Education, uh, brodyedu.com. And we're working our way through the Book Publishing for Authors Implementation Program. And this week I'm combining modules 6, 7 and 8. And they're all about marketing and that's something that we need to to be proficient at if we want to succeed in our indie businesses. And this week I've learned all about free launches and how I need to launch uh, on a Tuesday morning because the Amazon algorithms like that. Uh, We talk about where to where to place our book promo money and Paul talks us through uh, BK Knights free booksy and price drop books I'd never heard of any of this guy so I learn an awful lot uh, so for a little bit over a hundred dollars you can really uh, launch your book into bestsellerdom uh, with a little bit of forethought uh, the next couple of uh, modules that Paul shares with me are 99 cent launches and paperback and audio launches now as indie publishers we want to spread out ourselves far and wide and make sure that we cover all our bases. Uh, Paul's program certainly takes us through all that and I'd like to give a big shout out to Paul and thank him for allowing me to do this program because I'm learning far more than I ever thought was possible. Okay everyone, sit back, listen to Alison, Uh, you'll learn a lot more about her and you'll learn a lot more about my lack of uh, interviewing skills as I was so determined, I was so interested in learning all about colonial mysteries because that just was so romantic that I forgot to research my Civil War era where uh, a lot of Alison books, uh, uh, Alison's books are set. So I got in a little bit of trouble for this one, but it was all good fun and I learned an awful lot. And 
Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today we're travelling down to sunny Melbourne, uh, which has been very, very sunny of late, and I'm talking to the beautiful uh, Alison Stewart. Welcome, Alison. Hi, Melinda. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, now Alison is one of our most uh, well-known authors here in Australia. She's known for her historical novels and her contemporary novels and has won an awful lot of awards, awards I'm assuming. Alison, uh, are you up for the Rita Award that's coming up that everybody seems excited about at the moment? <laughs> well, I, I have to correct you. I, I, I haven't won an awful lot of awards. I've only ever actually won one, which was the Epic Award back in 2008. I, I have been nominated for many along along the road, but uh, no no chance of Rita's or, uh, or Ruby's or anything like that. I think uh, what I write doesn't sort of fit in with... Uh, with um, the way judges judge those awards these days. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good way to start, everyone, isn't it? How do, what kind of book have you got to write to fit in with judges and competitions? Look, I, ha- I have, uh, when I find the answer to that, I'll tell you, I'll probably write the book. But um, I think the problem I, I have with the Rita and the, and the Ruby, or particularly the Rita, is uh, the Ruby, it's the judging has changed over the last few years. It used to be judged by readers, which had a slightly wider base. But uh, with the Rita, it's uh, the judging's done by other people who've entered the contest, and uh, and you can't obviously judge your own um, your own category. So uh, my books can be judged by somebody who's entered the paranormal or the contemporary. Uh, sorry, another correction there. I actually I write contemporary short stories, but I haven't written any contemporary novels. Um, so yes, it, it could be people who it's not the normal reading uh, material for. So it, I, I, I find it difficult to judge um, if, I, if I get stuck with a sort of a, a book about shapeshifters and werewolves, which is just totally outside my reading pattern as to how do I judge that. It's hard. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm thrilled there's some wonderful Aussie names in, just been announced today in the, uh, the Rita finalists and Golden Heart finalists. So um, unfortunately, I won't be there cheering for them this year, but um, go them. Yeah, and it is really exciting, everybody. And I've got to admit, I've never had a shapeshifter author or paranormal author here on the podcast, and I probably won't because I don't know anything about them. Uh, but Alison writes uh, historicals and based around, I'm guessing, the Civil War. It's in the 1700s, and it seems like such a romantic era. And I read the name Georgetta Heyer um, as, as I was researching with you. Do you find that writing about the 1700s is such a romantic time? It's 17th century, not um, so. I write about the English Civil War, which was 1642 to 1660, and it was an incredibly romantic time. Think about cavaliers and roundheads and uh, men with big, big bucket boots and lace collars and uh, and large swords. And I mean, uh, from a historical point of view, it was a time of incredible social and political upheaval. Um, very important time in English and uh, and other. Um, other, uh, the whole history, really, of, of anywhere that was touched by the British over the years. It's the whole foundation of standing armies and uh, and our British parliamentary system all came out of that turbulent 20, 20 years. So from, a, from writing from a romantic point of view, of course, it's sort of th- any civil war throws uh, throws up all sorts of possibilities of torn families torn apart and um, strong women having to defend 
defend their homes against the enemy, the enemy who could have been their next door neighbour just a few years before. So um, it's been a passion of mine that particular period, probably since my father rather inappropriately read me um, Daphne du Maurier's The King's General when I was eight years old. Totally inappropriate for an eight-year-old, but I just fell in love with the period and that was it as far as I was concerned. Um, I, there was no other historical period for me. And so writing it, I don't find hard because I feel it's kind of in my DNA. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have made a hat trick of errors and we're five minutes into our podcast, everybody. I have read so much about Alison and her books in the last 24 hours. You think I could get the facts right? So, Alison, first of all, I owe you a huge apology. <laughs> uh, but second of all, right. um, I know right. absolutely nothing about uh, those very early periods other than I've gone with the wind. Uh, now, how many books would you have written uh, from that period now? From that period, I've, I've got eight full-length published novels, um, six of which are set in or around the English Civil War. The two that aren't, uh, I've got one set in the 1920s and I did turn my hand to writing a regency, which is more your Georgette Hare type of uh, type of era, uh, which was fun to write, but my goodness, such an overcrowded market in the regency. And um, I didn't feel like I was playing in my own sandpit playing in, in that one. But no, the English Civil War, sadly, you know, it's, it's uh, I think it's coming up up. Uh, I did a study last year of how many novels in that period had been written in the last 10 years and I was actually amazed. But we're still struggling to find a readership for that period. Um, it just doesn't have that sort of romantic uh, overtures of the Regency or the dashing knights of the medieval, or oh, let's face it, a high, um, Highlanders in kilts. <laughs> Somehow people can't seem, to, uh, can't seem to love cavaliers nearly as much as a Highlander in a kilt. Yeah, and it's probably a bit hard for us as readers, I guess, to relate to if, the, if it hasn't got a tried and true genre. Like I know my, um, my partner in crime over in England, Melinda Hammond, she writes Regency novels and she always has. Uh, and mm. the, the market for uh, Regency novels, as you said, is huge. Uh, now, I love the idea of the Civil War. Mm. I love the idea of um, the 1600s. And, like, we study it at schools all the time. But when it comes to romance novels, I am, I am so out of my depth when it comes to that. Talking about research, you made a comment somewhere along the line that um, the, the depth of research that we have now available through the internet makes the life of a writer really easy. It does, yep. It does. However, you know, I still like to uh, go to a uh, tried and true book every now and then. I've got a, I've got a very large research um, library now on, on the period of the English Civil War, and it still tends to be my go-to if I'm looking for facts and rather more than sort of the, the social history type kind of thing. But my goodness, you know, when I started writing, the internet was a... Um, I think it was a sparkle in somebody's eye at that point in time and there was no other choice except libraries and uh, how things have moved in the last 20-odd years. Yeah. And do you find that you just get lost in the history? I should imagine having a huge library. I remember I spoke to Kate Forsyth and she collects all, all her beautiful books on mythology and, and she writes about those beautiful earlier periods as well. Do you find that falling in love with your books is, is part of the pleasures or, or pleasure of being an author? Well, actually, it's a really good question because I, 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 historical accuracy for me is really, really important. I mean, I can't, I can't claim with my hand on my heart that every book I write is 100% historically accurate. 
Um, uh, but I, I do try to make it that way, and certainly readers have commented on my on my accuracy. But for me, the story is actually more about um, the characters involved. The history is playing out in the background. It's like, if you think of it like a tapestry, it's the tapestry is the it, the history is the background to the tapestry, and the important thing I try to focus on is is actually the interaction between the characters, the impact that the, that particular history has on those characters in that particular time period. So to answer your question, um, I try not to get bogged down in the research is where I put a short answer to that question. Yeah, and I'm moving through this fairly quickly, everyone, because I came to this podcast with a particular intent. And I mentioned to Alison at the start, I never title my podcasts at the beginning. But when I was researching I skipped over a lot of the historical, those early 1600 um, books that you wrote very, very deliberately because as soon as I read 1910 and Singapore, I was hooked. And as I went further, everyone, I noticed that Alison had this wonderful phrase called turning to crime. So this is the point of the podcast, everybody. Hopefully my facts improve a little bit here. But having said that, you haven't actually written much uh, about uh, Singapore in 1910. Tell us a little bit about why you've chosen that period and why um, you've chosen crime. Okay, right. Well, let's start with why I've turned to crime. Um, I think it was Janet Ivanovich who who was asked why she she started writing her Stephanie Plum novels, and and in Janet Ivanovich style, she said, "Well, I hit menopause," <laughs> and uh, so she sort of moved away from her romance novels into writing crime. It was actually. To be fair, it was actually probably Mary Jo Putney. I, uh, I had the great pleasure of meeting once and uh, at the time before I was published. And uh, she offered me um, wonderful advice, wonderful person that she is. And she said, well, Alison, what actually do you read? And I said, well, to be perfectly honest, I mostly read crime novels. Uh, I particularly love historical crime novels. And she said, well, why aren't you writing historical crime novels? I wasn't writing historical crime novels because I was a lawyer and that somehow seemed a little bit close to my own profession, whereas I, I, I liked being away from that for a particular reason, for particular reasons. Um, but when I thought about it, I actually, in more recent years, I realised I have actually written two crime novels. In fact, Gather the Bones and Lord Summerton's Air, my regency, are both actually crime novels. I, I didn't intend for them to be that way. It's just that there was a, a murder, there's been murders in both of them that, that carry the plot through to the end. Um, so that answers why, sort of why I've, I've got an interest in crime. I certainly, as I said, still read mostly historical crime so- stories. Why Singapore? Well, I lived in Singapore for three years um, as what they call a trailing spouse. My husband was uh, with a large international company up there. And for the first time, it allowed me to actually be a writer, which I really, I loved. Got involved with a fantastic writers group. And um, I would take myself down to the National Library and just trawl through back copies of uh, what was then the Straits, the Straits Times, which is still the major newspaper in Singapore. And there in a 1905 copy of the Straits Times, like all these old newspapers, the front page is always advertisements. And there it was a very large advertisement saying, an Englishwoman undertakes typing and shorthand. 
and she then went on to say availability such hours such hours and uh, then in capital letters right at the bottom she'd written absolute secrecy and confidentiality assured please contact whatever her name was wherever she wanted to be contacted I sat there looking at this advertisement and thought there's a story there (laughs) Uh, it took me some years before the story sort of gelled and um, the character of Harriet Gordon who is my protagonist in, in my my colonial mystery series came to me very, very clearly as, uh, and uh, as, as this typist, shorthand, shorthand typist, who was um, looking to supplement her income uh, with the absolute secrecy and confidentiality assured. Um, I'm not sure why I lighted on 1910 rather than any other period of Singapore history, but it, given that the actual original advertisement was 1905, but uh, five years between friends, what does that matter? I think maybe because it's taken me a little closer to the start of World War I thinking very lot in the in the long distance that the series might go that far but uh, 1905 was a bit uh, a bit too close um so that's the reason it's uh, singapore in 1910 and i've had enormous fun world building a city that no longer exists if you've been to modern singapore you'll know while there are still little colonial pockets and uh, of singapore to actually recreate what was really quite a small town in 1910 um, has been part of the challenge of the whole thing but hey thank you to the internet and uh, Pinterest and all the rest of it I've got a fairly clear picture in my brain of what Singapore at that period looked like Um, and it's I've written the first book which is Singapore Sapphire which is the one that's just been bought by Berkeley Um, and I'm working on the second one uh, which is tentatively titled The Colonel's Lady is Dead she's very dead Um, (laughs) And <laughs> um, having enormous fun doing it because I sort of coming from a colonial background myself, I, I, I kind of feel I'm in a very familiar place. Sorry, that was a very long answer, but that's okay. I'm happy for you to keep talking. I'm in love with um, Singapore in 1910 and I'm actually going to ask you to go into a bit more detail. Uh, now, I know um, some male writers have written about these colonial times quite extensively and they're big fat books and they they are wonderful, wonderful books and I, um, I can see the books but I can't think of the authors. Now, for you to come along as a woman in 2018 and be recreating these things, did you rely on the novelists that came before it's not Sean Tan, but it's someone who he wrote Taipan and some of those bigger books. He wrote, I think, one of Are you thinking books. of um, Noel, Noel Barber? I'm thinking uh, of uh, Noel Barber. I'm thinking yeah, of Noel Barber wrote Tan, Tanamira. Uh, that's, a, that's the big one that I can think of. I think when people write historical fiction set in Singapore, it tends to be round about World War II, which of course was an incredibly traumatic time and uh, a very, very difficult time in Singapore history. And probably the English Civil War equivalent of, of Singaporean history, because of course everything that came out of that was of course independence and the secession from Malaya or Malaysia um, and uh, very, very difficult social and political times. Um, I try not to be an apologist for the colonial system as it existed. As I said, I'm a a product of it myself. I was born in East Africa. Um, uh, My grandparents had gone out there in the 1920s as civil servants and uh, that was kind of the life that I knew. Um, The fact was it existed and we can't pretend it doesn't. And what I'm, I was finding, you get programs like um, there was a recent TV show set in uh, the, the, 
the hills of India. Uh, was it summer, summer something? I can't remember the name of it. But it tends to it tends to depict the uh, the English characters or the British characters as absolutely vile and and venal and uh, self serving. And they weren't all like that. They they really uh, they went out with the very best intentions of of making better lives. I mean, my my grandfather was single handedly responsible for the eradication of mosquitoes in Kasumu on Lake Victoria. Um, they they tried to make better lives for 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 the people that um, they lived with and lived among. But um, I I wanted to write a, a sort of a, a softer, kinder colonial novel rather than the sort of harsh harsh sort of um, everything about the colonial era was bad type of novel. And I'm not, I'm not as I said, I, I'm not an apologist for it, 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 but it happened and we can't pretend that it didn't. And I can't pretend that some of the attitudes displayed by some of the characters in my book aren't, are viewed with mo- modern eyes as wrong. But um, So I've tried to take it very much from the British perspective. I haven't tried to, uh, to look, at, uh, look at it through the eyes of, um, of the... Uh, of the local local Singaporeans, um, my main protagonist Harriet Gordon obviously is a is um, it, it's a very typical cosy mystery in in that sense of having the um, the inadvertent detective being Harriet, but also having a professional uh, professional de- uh, detective, and he has a department um, comprising um, a Sikh sergeant and um, and a, a mixture of other races among his staff. And I, I loved writing about them. I loved the characters as they were coming out, and um, we'll see more of them over the books to come. I hope. Um, yes. So it, it's it's not it's not without its challenges writing writing about this period. Um, and and I hope that people view it kindly when when it does hit the shelves in August two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. Now we're talking about this early, everybody, because I'm noticing um, a proliferation of cosy mysteries as I scroll through Twitter feeds and things like that. So I'm guessing cosy mysteries are quite an established genre in themselves. Um, actually, it's interesting you say that because I've I, I found it's it was hard work selling Harriet. Oh, sorry, I call her, I call the, the series Harriet um, because I was getting the, the oh well we can't sell cosy mysteries and and this one's a little bit too far off beat. Um, however, I do think what what Berkeley is doing probably more than any other publisher is it does seem to have garnered a bit of a corner in the historical cosy mystery series, probably because of all the takeovers it's had over the last few years when it Penguin merged with Random House and they picked up NAL and all the rest of it. So they now have quite a little stable of, uh, of very well-known um, historical mystery writers, uh, particularly thinking of um, C.S. Harris, uh, whose books I absolutely adore, Sebastian Sancia novels. Um, and there's other writers like Anna, Anna Lee Huber and I think Reese Bowen is another one. Um, and they do seem to really like the the uh, concept of uh, of late Victorian Edwardian period of uh, of history. So, uh, just for the first time in my life, probably I just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right book, and mercifully for the first time ever, a right agent as well. So it was a, it was a uh, perfect storm of everything coming together. 
as yes. I say jokingly, it's only taken me 25 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> now, everyone, um, Alison is probably only half joking when she says that. You can write for years and years. Now, Alison has, has quite a good reputation here in Australia and she was past president of the Romance Writers Association. Uh, but it does take a bit of luck sometimes to be in the right place at the right time and have the right book, uh, especially with traditional publishing, I'm guessing. Uh, no, absolutely right. And that's probably one of, one of the difficulties I always had with my English Civil War novels. Um, I was getting fantastic feedback from publishers and uh, and agents that are, oh, my God, this is a fantastic book. Love the characters, love the period, cannot sell the period. And I mean, this is, we're talking back in the days when uh, we used to send off our manuscripts uh, in hard in hard form um, tied together with an elastic bat. <laughs> it doesn't seem that long ago, really, does it? Um, and the world was controlled totally by the mainstream publishers. They said they said what was happening. If they couldn't put it on the shelf under a neat little label, they weren't interested. Um, I remember hearing Diana Gabaldon saying that um, she had problems selling Outlander or Cross Stitch as it was originally came out because it didn't quite fit neatly into that is it a historical or is it a romance Um category and, and in fact she was slightly appalled that they stuck it under romance well, let's face it it is a romance um where was i going with that yes yeah, so um what changed out of sight i think for for the whole publishing industry was of course the the um the start of the e-publishing industry um and the then the ability also to become independently published as well so it has changed completely uh the way the the industry is now and those mainstream publishers don't have quite the same sway they used to however they are still the main print publishers and they do still like to have books that they can stick neat little labels on and put put up in uh, walmart and uh, and bookshops on, under romance or mystery or thriller or, or whatever they don't like books that cross genres too much Hmm. And turning did to crime, yeah, it did, it did, and I'm listening avidly and taking notes. What is the difference? What's the main difference between a romance and a crime novel? And we're talking plot here. Have you had to change your style? Have you had to deliberately read how to write a, a mystery novel, or or did it just come naturally? <laughs> Funny you should say that. <laughs> um, I. I <laughs> I'm a, I'm a pantser, or a, as I prefer to call it, a, an organic writer. Um, don't I don't tend to start my stories with much more than a very vague idea of uh, of, of the characters, the setting, and and where. Well, I obviously know that the story will end up with a happy ever after. I've had to completely reinvent myself writing crime. Uh, I did write Singapore Sapphire as a bit of a as a bit of a pantser, and it took me a long time to rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it until I I was happy that it actually sort of it sort of fulfilled the uh, fulfilled the uh, requirements of a, of a readable novel. Uh, can't write can't write crime that way. Um, mind you, Kerry Kerry Greenwood would tell you she writes all her Franny Fisher novels that way. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I I can do it that way. So it's been a huge change in the way that I uh, I do change. And yes, I have read books and I have been to um, been to lectures and. Uh, I, fundamentally, I think I still am an, an organic writer, and but I do have a much better sense of where the plot is going now with the books. Also, because I'm now I'm now in this funny world of actually being on contracts and deadlines, 
I don't have the luxury of playing around in an organic sense and going, well, what would happen if we went down that lane and it turns out to be a dead end? I don't have that time anymore. I've got um, 12 months or less to write a, write a, a book. It's, uh, um, you've got to just be a little bit more um, organised about it. Yeah. How long for Cozy Mystery? Um, how long? How long is a piece of string? I, I think. I think really now for any full-length novel, um, you're looking uh, of any great length. You're looking at at a hundred to one hundred and ten thousand words as as a good length. I don't think people have the reading ability. The, you know the the concentration levels that we used to have the, you know, to read the really big chunky Noel Barber Tanamira type books uh, that. Um, that that used to weigh down our bedside tables. Um, I, I find 110, that's what I write to. I, I can't answer for other writers, but um, that's a comfortable, that's long enough for me to get the story and sub-stories and subplots and, uh, and, and um, get it all to work for me. Any shorter than that and I'm struggling. Yeah, and it turns back. Now, I, the only thing I know about Singapore and that area is I used to be in love with the East India Company and uh, Burns Film. Did you did you include any of that stuff in your in your mystery novel? Um, not in this particular one. Um, the the first the first story is uh, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a jewel high story really. I suppose you could call it that. Um, so no, there, there's none of that sort of uh, none of the more um, conventional uh, companies that that were involved. Not no, it's more an ind individual stories. Again, it's again it's me writing about individuals rather than and keeping the history to the background to a certain extent. But uh, I, as I know that area now quite well, um, I, I've got I've got a fund of fund of little stories up my sleeve that I'm looking forward to getting stuck into if uh, if that's the way this is going to go. At the moment, it's just two book contracts, so we'll see where it goes from there. But yes, no, it's very romantic. The East India Company is definitely ripe for more stories, I, re I reckon. It, they tend to be more based in India. Um, but my goodness, they were there for a very, very long time. And uh, I, I had relatives who were in the East India Company. And uh, yes, um, and also the the, um, the Dutch equivalent too, the, the VOC, the, uh, the VOC, because that does come into my story obliquely as well. Uh, I'm not going to try my Dutch at trying to say what VOC stood for, but uh, other people can do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they were all competing madly in, in that area. I mean, it, the story is that the, the Dutch traded Manhattan for uh, for one of the islands of Indonesia because that was where the nutmeg was and they wanted exclusive control over, over the distribution of nutmeg. And you go to you go to cities like Malacca in Malaysia that's had this amazing history of Portuguese, Dutch, and and British occupation over over a long period of time. So much history; it's so interesting. Yeah, and the romance and the conflict are, as you said, crying out, crying out for more stories. And I've been collecting I've been collecting stuff about those kinds of those kinds of places for years. Um, do you find that it's good to be able to bring your stories closer to home? Yeah, actually, um, I'm actually writing <laughs> my other contract at the moment. I'm writing two Australian set historical romances for uh, for Harlequin Mirror in Sydney. That, that is actually far more challenging than writing about Singapore because it literally is on my doorstep. In fact, I'm, I, the, the, the particular story I'm, I'm writing starts in, in uh, the town that I live in. 
And, and suddenly I'm getting really worried. You know, what if I've, I've made the time ball tower the wrong color and people notice? <laughs> there seems to be far more research involved in, uh, in gold mining techniques of the 19th century than there is in, in uh, battlefields of the English Civil War or, uh, or, uh, or, or checking old straits times. Uh, I, I'm finding that really quite hard. Fortunately, my husband's an engineer, so he's more than happy to, uh, to uh, share the research burden with me. Yeah. And he's, he's dared me to, to put... Sorry, go on. No, and writing historical fiction in Australia, uh, it's, it's, it's recent past, but it's recent enough to be able to, to dig things out of the archives that, that actually bring your stories to life. So you'd be visiting, I guess, the, the uh, well, State Library of Victoria is just an amazing place, isn't it, uh, to go in with your white gloves and go through the old record books. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, they're, they're def- there's such a fund of, of uh, you asked me earlier about research and um, I mean, obviously there is so much more uh, available uh, when you're writing about the 19th century than the 17th century. Um, my Maidens Creek stories I've actually set in a little town in Gippsland. Uh, it's a fictional town, but it, it happens to look very like a town that I know very well. And um, I've had a lot of, uh, I spent a week up there in December just, I rented a cottage and just sat and wrote and it was just wonderful being in that environment um of course it, it's now a beautiful little forgotten ghost little town but uh, you know back back in the 1870s when I'm writing about it was uh, well it was a blighted landscape really because they'd torn down all the trees to fi- to uh, feed the boilers there was there was um this extensive gold mining going on the, and the the stampers that went six days a week 24 hours a day you know it was a very very different environment and I think that's the challenge of a historical writer is to try and uh, actually literally put yourself back in that that time and um and smell the smells and hear that stamper going kaboom 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 and likewise in Singapore if you've been to Singapore you know how incredibly hot and humid it is and we're talking in a time that didn't have air conditioning you know how how did a woman wearing corsets and high-necked skirts uh, dresses and skirt full-length skirts cope with the heat it um that's that's the fun and games of writing historical fiction, I think. Yeah. But yeah, as they're writing more modern fiction, uh, you 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 have the the joy of they can switch on electric lights and they can pick up telephones, yeah. and, and they even have motor vehicles in 1910. So uh, yes, it's sort of a bit of a treat, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was doing the uh, history of early gold mining in Western Australia, and I found myself at the State Library of Victoria because that's where all the early um, police occurrence records were kept uh, at the State Library of Victoria. Mm. And when you start to go back through those occurrence records and then you look at the early newspapers, the the wealth of detail and description, especially from our early journalists, is absolutely amazing and gold in itself for a modern writer because they, they actually talk about the camel trains and they talk about the smells and the heat and the dirt. And you can pull those details out into mm. your stories really easily, can't you? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you don't even need to go to the library. Um, you just have to access all these newspapers through Trove. Um, I, I hope that's not pinging through you. I'm not sure how to turn it off. Um, you can access all these newspapers through Trove and, and it's an absolute rabbit warren of, oh, oh, that looks like a really interesting article. I thought, what does that one say? And, and you do pick up stories. And I, I have, certainly with my uh, my Maidens Creek stories, I have um, appropriated a couple of couple of quite serious incidents that uh, occurred in a, 
in and around the gold fields. And as I said, my, my rule's my sandpit. So um, the fact that an incident might have occurred in Ararat and I'm going to stick it in my town, um, that's my that's my prerogative as a writer. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah no, it's, uh, it's, almost, it's almost too much information, really. Yeah, and it's interesting that... But again, it, it all comes back... Yeah, it all comes back to um, to the fact, though, that I want my stories to be about the characters and the impact history has on them, not so much the history itself, if that yes. makes sense. And what I, what I was going to say, we've got a bit of a time lag here, everybody, and we, we're crashing into each other a little bit, but that's okay, we're persevering. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is when I wrote Miner's Wife uh, 15, 20 years ago, people said, or 10 years ago, people said stay away from um, gold mine stories because nobody wants them. But they certainly are coming back into fashion, aren't they? Because I'm reading gold mining stories and blurbs all over the place. I think I think Australian historical fiction is finally coming into its own. And, I mean, I, I think for, for most of us, certainly me growing up uh, in Australia, we tended to view our history as being a little bit naff. I mean, how boring, really? Gold mines, oh, yeah, okay, convicts, there was the Eureka Stockade, you know, like, nothing compared to the War of the Roses or <laughs> the Carthaginians or... But I, 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 in fact, the whole reason I started looking at my Maidens Creek stories was um, I was sensing a real uh, want in the Australian reading public to read their own stories and to hear Australian voices um, telling them as well. I, there are some absolutely shocking Australian historical romances written by people who are not Australians. Um, one particular funny one set in Melbourne in 1838, which I won't go into, but uh, it was so bad, it was just hilarious. But what really worried me was that the reviews for that story were saying, oh, well, thank you for writing this story. It was so great to read more about this, the history of this amazing country. And but it's wrong. It's all wrong. You know, I haven't got one fact right so far. And uh, I think that more than anything else spurred me into thinking of, well, if I was going to write a historical set in, set in Australia, what would it be? Um, the Maidens Creek stories actually came out of a, a couple of glasses of red wine on, on, a, on a rainy afternoon in a, in a tent with my husband up, up on the Snowy River. That, that, was, uh, that was fun. We had fun brainstorming that. I love podcasting. But yes, there is. A, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. No, I love podcasting. I was going to say yes. Um, yeah. Gold yeah. No, I think there's de there definitely. Uh, gold mining was such a huge part of our history, particularly us here in Victoria and also you in Queensland. I mean, there were gold mines up, up in Queensland. You've said yourself you've written about Western Australia. There were tin mines, there were coal mines, and you, you just have to travel in the outback. Incredible stories of. How did these people survive? My goodness, the, the conditions they lived under were just horrific. <laughs> and yet they survived. They produced 11 children and everyone lived happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah. You've only got to look at Western Australian in um, Kalgoorlie and the guys who used to pull, push their wheelbarrows mm. from, from the Palmer River in Queensland uh, over to Western Australia and you think, my God, they are, they are so tough. Um, but they always left their women behind and picked up new ones when they got there. 
Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. Well, my husband's challenge to me is to uh, to insert the words extruded swarming dyke into my story somewhere because apparently that is the correct term for a, for a reef, a gold reef. I said I'm not doing that. <laughs> we might have to get we might have to get the husband on the podcast next, everybody. Uh, I love the I love the wealth of detail. I was trying to say earlier with a podcast, we actually get to chat to you and we hear these stories firsthand. I love the idea of you guys being in a tent in the snowy river and discussing plot lines and how how two brains are better than one and stories can take off in different directions. They are some of the joys of being a writer that you just can't uh, you can't describe, can you? Uh, no, no, you can't. Uh, and I mean, my husband's been an enormous support to me over the years, in in so many ways. Although he was not allowed to actually read anything I wrote for after he, I gave him a short story to read, and it came back covered in red pen. And when when he found it in the rubbish bin later, he, he bought it and said, "Why why did you throw that in the bin?" And, and to which he just looked at me in a puzzled tone. I have to say he is an engineer. He looked at me in a puzzled tone, uh, puzzled eyes and said, but I only did to it what I do to my contractors. I won't tell you what my response to that was. It's not suitable for the podcast. <laughs> and there's still <laughs> Needless to say, my husband's yep. relationship with the contractors. Yeah, we are still married. Yes, <laughs> yes. I love it. Actually, uh, yep, sorry. Keep going. I was going to say, I, um, I I was very lucky to be interviewed by the ABC for a little segment they did some years ago, and um, David actually appeared on the on the uh, video, and he was asked, "Is Alison a romantic person?" and and he said, "Oh yes, yes, no, she's she's very very romantic." Uh, he said, "But uh, and she loves flowers and uh, and wine and things, but but I I don't I don't do that because I don't like to manipulate her emotions." <laughs> he said that on national television. <laughs> <laughs> bring on. still find it if you go looking <laughs> yeah bring on the emotion bring on the blackmail give us more champagne and chocolates mm. and you know, beautiful romantic holidays absolutely absolutely <laughs> all right i'm yep. going to wind up now because um, i've had enough of your time and this internet's getting worse by the minute uh what i wanted to finish with was your your courses on scrivener because as you do so much research and you find so many wonderful rich stories the beauty of Scrivener is that you can pack them away in various research files and pull them out and drag them into your story whenever you want to. Uh, are you finding that uh, Scrivener is allowing you to to gather all this stuff together and create these wonderful stories more easily? I, I have an absolute love affair with Scrivener. I've tried, I'm a Capricorn, you have to understand. I'm a Capricorn and I like my life to be fairly orderly. And I tried all the kind of writing programs and then Scrivener came out and it was only available for Mac. And so I actually bought a Mac so I could use it. Um, the, the thing about Scrivener that people don't understand is that it is a project management system. It's not particularly a, a word processing system. I don't use it to word process at all. I just use it to get the words down and then I format and do what I need to do in Word to make it into the final document. But, oh, my God, goodness, that ability to uh, to store all your research and uh, information about your characters and all of that all in one place, I, I just love that. It's just I can store photographs, I can store website references, I can I can... I can do up all sorts of documents and put them in there. I just love it. And that's that's why I sort of started the little beginner's course was uh, 
to try and over, but the trouble with Scrivener is you open it up and it's just this overwhelming interface and you think, oh my God, I'm never going to learn all of this. Well, of course, the thing is you don't have to learn all of it. You can use as much for as little of it as you like, but it's overcoming that fear of the interface. So that's how I designed my little course was, was um, really just to get people friendly with the interface. <laughs> You know, approach it quietly with your hand outstretched and uh, it won't bite um, and and then it's up to individuals as to to build on their own knowledge of Scrivener but just just to get those basics and to understand okay that side's the project management side that side's the document side and in the middle is the uh, is the bit where I do the writing and uh, it's all there and I can move everything around I can put it up in um, put it up in little cards like I could on a table I just Anyway, that's my little love affair with Scrivener. Yeah. And um, I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, it's just completely revamped itself and um, it's now a new Scrivener 3 for Max and I'm doing a little course with that for RWA in the next month. Help. Yes, next month. <laughs> yeah. Look, I thoroughly recommend everybody that you that you join Alison for her course because the organisation system alone is well worth it. But you can also block out everything else and all you have is your writing document. So you can forget everything, everything's off your screen and you just write, which is, I think, one of the best tools of all. Um, I love it. Uh, and you can do your word counts, all those kinds of things as well. Um, but to have all your projects and to take all your research, um, I, I, I'm still writing the timber court timber cutter's daughter three years later and I'm down in Brisbane doing the research and I've got miles of research but it's not overwhelming because it's stuck away in a binder and I don't have to worry about it um, so if you do get a chance to do Alison's course that would be great and if you're at all interested in colonial history uh, this is the woman who's going to have the information for us um, I'm assuming by the time we talk to you when these books come out Alison you are going to be so knowledgeable uh, on on Singaporean history and and what goes on. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, but I certainly, certainly I managed to incorporate the opening of the Anderson Bridge in the last, <laughs> the, first, the first book. I mean, it's just a riveting bit of history there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great fun. So July 2019, my first Maiden's Creek book comes out and it's followed hot-footed hot by um, Singapore Sapphire in August of the same year. So I've got a busy couple of years coming up. No holidays. I, my life has basically been cancelled now. <laughs> <laughs> for the next two years. <laughs> now, don't feel sorry for everyone. She just got back from this beautiful, beautiful cruise on this beautiful, beautiful big boat, I think, uh, and I think the pictures are up there on Facebook. So you, love, you loved your cruise. I'm, I'm, I can tell by the joy in your voice and the smile that you love your writing. And the fact, everyone, as I said, I was interested in the colonial history, but Australian historical novels finally coming into their own. I know we had Tia Cooper on here with her beautiful platypus story down at um, the Wallamont national park uh and she's got lots of novels happening down around there and now we've got Alison coming out with her maiden creek stories if if you're interested in historical fiction uh read these ladies books um i'm sure i can guarantee Alison that you have the plot structure of a mystery story down pat now <laughs> oh, thank you for your confidence i appreciate that <laughs> Ah, oh, well, we'll we'll see. But I, I think the Colonel's Lady will come together much easier than Singapore Sapphire did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to wind up now. Thank you. That's it from Rider on the Road for another week. Alison has been absolutely amazing uh, with our time lagging and all the risk that goes on with my inner city internet. Uh, thank you very much, Alison, for being such a wonderful, wonderful guest and sharing those intimate details with us of what it's like to actually research and write a historical novel. 
Well, thank you for your time, Melinda. I've greatly appreciated it and always happy to chat anytime. Yeah, and I'll try and get my details correct um, the next time we next time we talk. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and bye from yeah, bye from Rudder on the Red. Thank you.